And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. We're talking your Texans straight from the Great British Isles. It's a free agency edition this week as everyone's in Indy. How do the Texans fill the holes on defence to help Anthony Weaver in his first season? And as it comes out from the presser today, the headset has been passed. Tim Kelly in it all. And join us this week on the Turn Up For What podcast, talking Texans straight from the Great British Isles, Matt Weston from the Battle Red blog. Matt, how you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing great today. How you doing? Yeah, good, man. Thanks for joining us. It's, uh, we're just sitting out before we start. It's a marathon, not a sprint in the off-season, so it's kind of uh, it's the interesting time. Combine, around the corner. Um, how much do you think, combine-wise anyway, um, actually is about, the, about free agency because you th- I always think... In that two-day legal tampering period, uh, there seems to be a lot of uh, numbers crunched and a lot of proposals sent back and forth. Um, mm-hmm. If they didn't already have have that kind of all lined up, yeah, a little bit. I I mean, I personally don't watch much college football at all. There's only so much football I can you know watch, and Sunday through you know Thursday is enough of that. But uh, I'll start watching more NFL draft stuff after free agency happens. Probably you know usually the entire month of April I'll do that, but. Since I've kind of finished my entire Texan season review, I've been uh, kind of going back and looking at free agency and looking at the notes I have on players I've watched and guys I like. So I've I've looked at all like the unrestricted free agent stuff and who, should, who they should cut, who they shouldn't cut, and that whole sort of thing. So I'm ready to talk free agency as much as possible. The combine, I don't know uh, what a Jerry Judy is. I don't know anything other than Joe Burrow can't miss. That's about it. Oh, yeah. I've got my own theory about uh, Joe Burrow, but we'll leave that for another time. But yeah, free agency, I think, is a huge part of the off season uh, for this team, and um, it's it's going it's going to be a big way to shape the team. Obviously, we've got the commander in chief works in the cafeteria, uh, works on the on the box office. Bill O'Brien, GM, he's done absolutely everything for this team. Uh, but the big surprise uh, today in his press conference, uh, he is looks like anyway. Uh, how long it lasts, we'll see. Is going to relinquish play calling duties and hand over the reins. In full to Tim Kelly, he said he was excited about it. What do you think, it, Matt? I think it's cute. I think it's a, a good idea. You know, like obviously you can't. There's only so many jobs that you can do, only so many things you can do, and your time can only spread spread out in so many different ways. And I think he'd be better off you know, designing a game plan than even being a general manager at all. Let alone calling plays in the game too. And then, I mean, just like two good examples. Even go back to that Chiefs game. Were kicking a field goal in fourth and one to make it 24 0 when they 100% should have gone forth there. And then also not having a play ready to go in fourth and four and just not being mindful of, you know, in game situations, that sort of thing. But we've seen Bill O'Brien say this, you know, 100 different times. We've seen different offensive coordinators. He's been, he's really quick to take away duties and bench guys and remove guys and cut guys. And, uh, and the string's really short with them. So this sounds really nice right now, how long it lasts into the season. Who knows? But yeah, anything that kind of delegates duties always sounds like a great idea for somebody who has the amount of power that he has in the position he's in. But you know, how long it lasts, I guess, is kind of the thing that to question, I guess. You know, everything sounds really nice in April. That doesn't sound doesn't work so well in October. Yeah, that's it. When the pressure's on, he he um I think we'd, we'd certainly it kind of mirrors some of what he did with George Godsey. I think when he had him in there he he gave him a season as the with the title, but not actually calling the plays, and then kind of handed it over. But then I think at times he took it back. So 
Yeah, he's a, an impulsive man, Bill, isn't he? So <laughs> I think we'll have to see um, to see how it lasts. I think one thing with Tim Kelly, though, um, he's been with them the longest, worked, to, worked with them since being a grad assistant, been in the building almost the entire time, or if not the entire time, uh, O'Brien's been in Houston. So he obviously kind of trusts him and he's seen him grow uh, from you know a grad assistant now to he's effectively his right-hand man on, the, on game day. So... Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think it could only be a good thing because there's been too many, like you said, Matt, those two those two painful decisions or lack of decision making and lack of proactivity. You know, when it when the team needed it the most, the big spots, and then clock management as well has been poor. Um, you know, from O'Brien. I mean, you could say that about a lot of head coaches, but it has been. So yeah, hopefully a positive. I think so. You know, it could it could very well shape the offense differently. I think you'll be on a tight leash. I can't imagine Bill just giving him carte blanche to do what he wants, but <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But I think you know some of the parts that were built into the offense were obviously new influences, and if that was Tim, um, then then you know I'm all for it. You know, and then um, obviously uh, Carl Smith taking a back seat, and uh, T.J. Yates, son of Houston, uh, probably one of the best late round draft picks. Uh, came back um, and helped this team out a few times. He's going to step up to be assistant QB coach as well. I think TJ's got there. I think I always remember when uh, when Watson rookie season he was pictured, uh, you know, in his own time uh, on the whiteboard, uh, drawing up plays with with Watson. So there's obviously a long standing relationship there. What do you think, TJ, and what he'll bring, Matt? Yeah, it's it's another thing. It's kind of like it's really heartwarming, you know, especially considering he was the first player to first quarterback to win a playoff game for Houston after Matt Schaub's foot got broken and because uh, Albert Hainsworth ripped it off in the pile after being signed like three days before that. And I mean, I don't, I, I mean, it sounds like TJ Yates is, you know, a very intelligent person and understands the game very well because he's been able to, you know, carve out like uh, a fairly lengthy career for a six round pig while having not like the best athleticism or, um, you know, quarterback talent has been able to stick around for a while, considering so with backup stints in, in Atlanta too, I believe. And he, I even forget sometimes that he actually quarterback games for Houston again, a second stint with Bill O'Brien. So it's good to see. It's also kind of like cool, the communal, uh, coaching staff that the Texans do have where you have guys who play for Bill O'Brien who come back through and become becoming coaches and I think kind of creates like a like a like a, a good environment where it's kind of cloistered and um, in some ways to be bad because you don't have outside influences outside ideas sometimes but it's also always nice to see like guys who enjoy playing for the team who stick around with the team and are always kind of there and even though Andre Johnson doesn't play there you still see him which always you know feels good but as far as Yates being a good quarterbacks coach I don't know enough about it personally or him personally but um, it's the same, same kind of thing with the Kelly thing where it sounds good right now. I just don't know what it really means or anything at the moment. Yeah, no, you're right. I think it's the time will tell uh, by week three or, or probably half time of week one. We'll have a better idea if this is actually going to make a, an impact um, on this team. So Yeah, I guess the more interesting thing was the quarterback's coach currently for Houston is going to take a backseat to, I guess he's going to be like an offensive consultant and so Tim Kelly is going to be the offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach as well. And so I don't, and like, you know, yes, last year is the first year the Texans had a positive offensive DVOA and the entire history of Bill O'Brien being the head coach there. And it was like 0.2%. They were 17th in offensive DVOA. And so I know uh, their current quarterbacks coach, he worked with Russell Wilson from Seattle. And I, I wonder how much they liked him there, I guess, in a way as him working with the Watson every single day. I know a lot of people expected Watson to have 
like an MVP caliber season, which I think he did have at times, but there are still things kind of missing, like fighting hot routes and, uh, and avoiding sacks and those sorts of things, picking up blitzes before the snap. And a lot of it, I think is just the was poor offensive design, but I wonder, you know, there's some things that they feel like he didn't do well enough. Maybe that they want Tim Kelly to coach the quarterbacks and keep that same unity where he's calling the plays. He's working with Watson day by day and, and constantly, and they give him another set and they also give a new play caller, another set of eyes up in the booth as well too. And so I think that's also some interesting news as far as how they've kind of changed their delegation of duties with the coaching staff. Yeah, I think when Carl Smith came in, it, it, yeah, you're right. It felt like it was going to be a bigger upturn uh, for Watson and some of his play. And now some of Watson's play in the highs, you know, I talked about this last week on the podcast, that, that when the highs were good, he led this team to some really great offensive performances. But when the lows were low, uh, like you're saying there, that the the mental process inside of the game is still very much a work in progress and he's still developing. And, you know, as you said, TJ Yates wasn't blessed with the best gifts uh, athletically. So does he, does he, you know, help him on that? Uh, because I think that's where he needs to take the next step. I think because Watson, the physical attributes really aren't, aren't the question. It's the, uh, you know, setting the protection, uh, you know, as you said, getting the hot, hot routes, reading the defenses quicker, you know, changing the play at the line of scrimmage. And he, ha- he has taken big steps forward in that. That's, that's clear, but... He still has some way to go, you know, to be at the level of, you know, somebody like Patrick Mahomes, who, you know, you can you can see at this stage of his career, having that year under Alex Smith is a bit mm-hmm. more advanced in that sense. Yeah, and personally, I I look at all that too, not necessarily as a, a problem with Watson. I look at it as more of like an issue with the offensive design, you know. So the Texans last year were, they had a variance according to football outsiders at 9.2%, which was, you know, the sixth highest variance in the league last year. And a lot of that has to do with Will Fuller being on the field, but also it just seems like Houston has really great game plans sometimes. They stick to something that works and they stick to it too long and don't innovate from there. And then I think the offensive, you know, kind of design too, they just, they didn't create enough easy throws for Watson. They didn't really have a good answer if there was blitzes. They did a lot of things that didn't make sense, like, you know, run max protection, play action passes with only two routes up and down field. And, uh, and like a lot of the complaint that Watson holds the ball too long and those sorts of things. If you just go back and watch the video, like try to find somebody who's open, you know, there just aren't really many open throws this offense creates. So I think this is more about the offense in general than Watson. And, uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see what, you know, Tim Kelly can do compared to some that O'Brien has, I think, you know, failed at being able to do since he's been the head coach slash, you know, offensive genius of this team. Yeah. I think the, the max protect two receiver routes, you know, works at times uh, in the right look, but that was something that teams were were taking away towards the end of the season, um, and it was you know it, it it it's definitely a criticism of O'Brien that the the team doesn't evolve enough and uh, you know throughout the season and make iterative changes because the same with the, the sort of shallow rollout and the dump off to the tight ends you know that worked yeah. really well they, they did that to death at the end and teams just took it away and they looked like they were still going back to it so. You know, it's something you can go back to, um, but yeah, I think there needs. So hopefully, fresh, fresh ideas take the basis of the playbook and add his own, uh, hopefully, element to it. And yeah, and I think you've seen so many people as well. I think talk about why is there not more play action passes in in this offense? You know, and, yeah, I'm, and I don't necessarily need to go back to the match up bootleg. Uh, Gary Kubiak, you know, it's kind of uh, outside zone kind of scheme, but. Uh, you know, when you've got an athletic quarterback like that, you feel like 
having Deshaun on the move, moving the pocket in more ways than they did last season. Uh, seems a bit of a shortcoming on it. Now, that might be down to the offensive line still settling in. That might be down to just stubbornness on his point of view. I don't know. I think O'Brien's called some great games, uh, but they're not regular enough. So we'll see. As you said, it's all kind of basically window dressing at this stage and we'll find, and we'll find mm-hmm. out. Uh, we'll find out how we go. Um, so free agency, as we said, on the on the horizon here. Uh, we've got basically, uh, well, we've got 10 days now until, uh, the, uh, or, or almost 10 days, but 12 days until the, the tags uh, of March 10th has uh, got the deadline for the league um, transition and franchise tags. Do you see Houston using either? I don't I don't think so. I think if they used one, they probably use the transition tag on Reader. And that transition tag allows the team to make to equal an offer that another team you know, makes on him as well, too. So they don't get compensation, but it kind of turns them into a restricted free agent. And then that's really the one thing that they'll do. I'm, I mean, like... I don't see them franchise tag him just because it'd be a lot cheaper probably to extend to a long-term contract and, uh, and maybe front load that a little bit too. Well, I guess if they front loaded, it wouldn't make it easier necessarily for the future, make the contract cheaper for right now. But, uh, I just don't, I, I don't see that it's a situation they need a franchise tag him at all. I assume transition tag and then just matching if they want to keep them there, but keep them there for you know the cheapest amount possible, I guess. Cause I think based on last off season, uh, when the team had control of the situation with Jadevian Clowney on the franchise tag, but for some reason chose to relinquish that control and pay another team to take him, uh, or seven million of his seventeen million cap hit, uh, I'm not confident they're going to use it. It felt like in some of O'Brien's comments, which I think is always key, um, that it wasn't in the spirit of it, and it was only used as a temporary measure uh, before it agreed. A longer term deal which they didn't do everything that I've sort of seen and I think a couple of it towards this, the end of season interviews with DJ Reader, uh, I've got a feeling that we'll be going to looking for a replacement what do you think yeah I agree with that and you know the Reader thing is interesting because he was actually a really good pass rusher for the first five weeks of the season and after that Atlanta game, it really kind of disappeared after that. And I don't know if he was just tired because Watt wasn't around. He's taking on more double teams and, you know, he wasn't getting more one versus one matchups against guards or he was you know, more tired or he was just tired because he was having to have such an impact and make such an effort stopping the run that hurt his ability to stop, the, to rush the passer. I don't know what it was, but, you know, even in one versus one blocks last year, he struggled from, you know, week seven or so on. And, you know, one of the things I think we learned about the Chiefs Super Bowl win last year, if you didn't know already, was that throwing the ball is better than running the ball. It's a more efficient play. You get more yards for playoff throwing the ball than you do running it. And the Chiefs won a Super Bowl with a top 10 pass defense, but one of the worst run defenses in football. And so there's no reason to pay a guy, you know, $12 million a year or so, or $11 million a year, whatever it is, to be a really great run defender whenever that's not all that important, you know? Like, yeah, like a team can shorten a game on you and that sort of thing, but what would you see Kansas City do three times last year? They came back down big against teams that were supposedly great running offenses and have these onslaughts where they scored 21 points in you know, seven minutes and the game's over after that. And so I think I think for Houston, you know, stopping the pass is more important. And so if Reader is able to continue to rush the passer as he did in the first five weeks of the season throughout the entire year, I think for sure it'd be worth giving him that much money. But he's never rushed the passer that well in his entire career. He's always been a really great run stopper. 
And, uh, and he may go on and play for, you know, a team like, uh, I don't know, maybe Indianapolis or Carolina and be a really great pass rusher, but he wasn't that in Houston at all. So that's why I don't think that they should keep him. And that's why I think they probably won't end up keeping him as well either. Yeah, I think the the 11 to 12 million or whatever we are, is probably about that range uh, to extend them. APY is not going to be optimal based on the fact that we'll obviously caveat a lot of the stuff we're about to say, Matt, is that we've obviously got two monster market resetting extensions uh this this off season to factor in and that's in watson who you know could be anywhere between 35 and 40 million uh, probably you know probably somewhere 36 to 38 potentially in that kind of range and obviously you got laramie tunsil who based on that dj humphreys contract that, that got signed 15 million over three years apy in arizona uh if you're his camp jimmy sexton is going to be asking for a serious deal there as well and you're going to think him and Ronnie Stanley are going to be looking for, you know, for 20 million in that range. Uh, obviously, Laramie's already got a 10 million hit in the uh, in in the in, in his current current contract uh, that Miami extended his option before. Um, so, you know, there's that's a big chunk of the the 63, 64 million that that the Texans have got to play with. Um, if if um, if DJ Reader hits the market, Matt, where do you see uh, some of the attention? going to um as we as i said there's potentially three ways you can look at it i think as a free agent you know as a free agent big splash which tend to not you know in many cases don't always necessarily work out that well um um, is it going to be some mid-tier level guy with a potential upside coming back from an injury or is it going to be a real sort of bargain basement discarded by his team probably let go for a reason and you're hoping on traits alone that's going to come and give you production so defensive tackle where would you be so defensive tackle, I mean, they have like, I don't know. It's, it's really kind of depends on what they're trying to do. Um, to re- to replace reader. I mean, reader mainly played three, four defensive end after what got hurt last year. And so that put brand done nose tackle. Dunn was the primary nose tackle from the Watt injury on, and they signed him for $4 million a year. They also have Angelo Blackson defensive end. He's under contract for $4 million this year and they can release him to create some additional cap space too, which I think they will do because Blackson's a terrible pass rusher. I think he only had like two quarterback hits last year, but he was AFC special teams player of the month after blocking two field goals in two weeks. But I think they can fill him in with, with Carlos Watkins. And then the more, and then D, uh, JJ Watt, the other defensive end spot, I think was also been very interesting for this team at the defensive tackle position is Charles Omeno, who, who is, who I can never say his name right, but He's not like a, a speed rush, bend, edge rusher. He's a interior bull rush sort of guy who can like you know play a four-eye technique and drive offensive tackles back to rush the passer. But he was a really bad run defender last year. He got really kind of trounced against power plays where whenever guys would pull against him, he didn't recognize them well and get your hold a lot and uh, wasn't able to hold up in the run game very well. And so if he can get stronger this offseason, he'll play the run even like, you know, 20% better or so, and then maybe bump his pass rushing production of five sacks. I think he, and that would be, you know, extremely beneficial for this team. So, I mean, even just the way the three, four defense works that they run. And then also with, with nickel packages too, with his ability to pass rush from Charles, I don't, I think that they can be able to kind of solve uh, the reader issue internally. It just kind of depends on where they want their pass rushing production to come from as they enter the 2020 season. Pass rush is is an issue, isn't it? I think for this team, as you said, I think we're twenty seventh in 
DVOA. Uh, I think the lowest sack total since 2010 and 31 sacks. So the rush, as you said, if they're not going to, you know, if you can find a player uh, that can rush from the interior, like, you know, Chris Jones, uh, who you've got to assume will be staying in uh, Kansas City um, at any cost based on his, you know, that, that ability. You know, Aaron Donald's probably the other, you know, the premier player that can do that from the interior. And that's, you know, it's almost, it's, it's almost a, a plus that many defenses probably in their scheme and the, and the way they're set up don't account for because it's it is a bonus in many in many senses. So predominantly, you think yeah, you could shore that up from the from the uh, edge. I always go back to I think it's twenty fourteen, Matt, when the when the Texans picked up Grease Pickett late late on, and he came in at that nose tackle spot, bigger guy, been at Green Bay a number of years but came in and filled that spot. And actually that 2014 defense then, you know, and similarly when uh, and Vince Wilfork gave us a couple of years, you know, late in their career, do they look to somebody like that, you know, a Michael Pierce from Baltimore, a uh, solid player is almost kind of becoming outdated um, in the league these days, but, you know, they eat up space well and stuff the run. So I think potentially there, you know, there's room for maybe something like that or, um, you know, an Andrew Billing from Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean the biggest thing too, like if you're gonna, if you need a guy to fill in to stop the run, there are guys available for cheap. And I mean, what did you just see Kansas City do last year too? They drafted, you know, Kalen Sanders, and I believe the fifth round, he played a lot of snaps in the run defense. They also signed Mike Pennell late uh, or midseason. He came in, was just able to stop the run. And also the biggest way, the best way to stop the run too, is to just throw a lot of bodies into the box on run obvious situations. Whenever you play against teams that can't really throw the ball that well. And, uh, and so if you just throw enough bodies there, it really hinders the team's ability to run, run the ball. The one thing that you miss out on by not having, you know, really great run defense players is all the negative plays. And that's what happened to the Texans run defense last year without Clowney and Kareem Jackson was they lost those guys who create a lot of negative uh, plays as well, too. So, I mean, I think there's always guys that you can kind of find to stop the run specifically uh, for one year contracts or two year cheap contracts, too, at the same time. Yeah. And I think staying on the on the front on the front seven, um, the biggest issue for this team and the biggest need for this team is the pass rush. Um, and it just even before Walt went out, um, obviously with the departure of of Clowney, was you know left this team in a bad spot. As you said you've got guys potentially like Charles Amenehu who can come in um, and, and and hopefully take a year two jump because when Charles flashes, he's good. He's just in, really inconsistent, like you touched upon. Um, so in ter- so in terms of uh, in terms of you know pressure from the edge, this team's going to have to go external uh, and free agency in the draft to to try and fill that need. Um, based on the number of pass rushers that hit the market, do you see any of these guys hitting the market? And if so, who do you think the Texans' attention should be um, come March? Yeah, and that's that's kind of the hard thing too about talking about free agents. Really, until like right before it starts, is that. The NFL is kind of designed for to limit free agency, and it gives the team as much club control as possible to prevent guys from reaching uh, free agency at all. And that was one of the things that was really so surprising. I mean, what about the clowning thing too? That you know, a player as great as he is, very rarely ever becomes a free agent to begin with. And uh, and so it is a good class of of edge rushers this year. Personally, what I think I think Houston's best option to fix their pass defense is to upgrade their pass rush. Just because there's more known quantities this year in that case, compared to cornerback where you know Byron Jones is the best one available. Everybody else are kind of older guys. They're 29, they're 32 years old, 
and uh, and they're guys who maybe get one good year out of it before they kind of start to deteriorate. So personally, what I would like to see Houston do is uh, I would like to see them go after Eric Armstead from San Francisco. And the reason why I really like him is because even though he's only had one a one year big jump in production, it came like a right right like right before a peak of a, a defensive lineman's career comes. And also he can do a little bit of everything. He can play. Uh, he can rush from the interior. He can rush from the exterior. He can play three four defensive end. He can play four three defensive end. Um, he's a good run stopper as well too. He's really great in stunts. I think he's something that you can really pair well with. Uh, whenever he runs down to like him and McKinney or him and Watt or him whoever on the defensive line too. And then also you can't block him with tight ends whatsoever. And so if you ever get any sort of matchup like that with him as a wide nine, you're able to generate pressure pretty much immediately too. So I like Armstead the most for those reasons. And I think also he can be get, gone for a little bit cheaper than someone like in Gakwe as well. Probably like the second tier uh, player gone this year where if you get him for like five years, $80 million or five year, $9 million, you can kind of get a guy like JJ Watt where He's not going to be the same level of player, of course, but he's a guy who can do you know, everything along the defensive line. You know, It's kind of like getting a, a version of Calais Campbell where he can play every single spot and make it a lot of players uh, better too. And then he's also a guy who's going to get better as well. He still hasn't hit the prime of his career either. But again, that also depends on if the 49ers are going to franchise tag him or not or re-sign him for a long-term deal. Yeah, that's the, the unknown right now, isn't it? Do these guys get kept in house, and the next couple of weeks we'll find out. You know, I think Armstead's an interesting one. Is it, you know, as, as you said, it's one year of production, but yet yeah, all the traits and the the positional flexibility along the line is is big. Um, and you've got to think of all the players that that potentially could hit the market. He's one of them. When you think of the the long line of first round tackles and defensive ends that San Francisco have got to pay. Um, I think maybe Solomon Thomas right now, based on all these kind of off-field issues and etc., um, or personal issues off the field rather, um, might see him be at the back of the back of the line for an extension of of them all. So, could he be tagged? I think potentially, and it's the same with you know Shaq Barrett, you know Leonard Williams, Ngokwe. Good chance a lot of these guys all get tagged because, as you said, it was rare that somebody like Clowney hit the market, but Texans managed it. Um, and they hit the market, and yeah, they command going to command a premium. So that I think that's the other element, isn't it? You know, can you afford a big edge rusher when you've still got you know what on the books at fifteen and a half million cap hit this year, and then you've now got also Merciless on his deal, um, which is uh, is is thirteen and a half. Uh, this you know a newly inked deal before the end of the season, which seemed odd in some senses. So, with those two guys in the book, do you think you think they go? You think they go big if they get the opportunity? Yeah, I think one of the things they'll probably look at doing with Watt, he's going to be his age 31 season. So they can convert some of that because they right now there's no uh, bonus money tied to that contract. So they can convert his salary into bonus and make it payable this year and drop his salary down for this season and then turn that to bonus for the future. I said that correctly, but they can turn his contract this year into a bonus sum and then elongate his contract to drop the cap it down for this season to maybe like seven or eight million dollars or so which is something I think they could look at doing. They probably will end up doing. And then with Merciless, I mean, that's the sign that really hurts right now is that it's, I think Merciless on the open field, he would probably get, you know, $12 million or so a year. And it's not necessarily that's a bad signing. It's that, you know, Merciless can't win one versus one blocks on his own. A lot of the plays he made last year were kind of fortunate plays where, 
you know, somebody else makes a play that sets him up. And a lot of his pass rushing angles too are really wide and looping where it requires, you know, interior pressure to drive the quarterback into him and those sorts of things as well. So it's not necessarily that like Merciless is bad as it were 12 million said, if you don't sign Merciless and don't sign Brand Dunn, you know, that's $15 million right there. And now you can easily sign, you know, Eric Armstead if he becomes available or you can take that and then add a little bit more to it and you know, release Angelo Blacks and now you have Yannick Ngakwe on your team. And so it's kind of the opportunity cost that hurts about that one. But I think regardless, pass rush is such a need and it's an, it's an easier way to improve, I think, with the way the market's set up to improve this pass defense. I think it needs to come from their pass rush. I think it's such a, a need that I, I would say that they may go big on one guy this year and then just try to fill in the rest with guys maybe like, you know, Glover Quinn, who or not Glover Quinn, but... uh. Robert Quinn, who could, who they could use him and say like, yeah, we'll give you, you know, two years, 15 million or 20 million or whatever. And we'll just use you on third downs or even some like Everson Griffin to kind of use them how the Falcons used, um, uh, Dwight Freeney a few years ago when he had like a 10 sack season, age 36, because he only played third downs. And so I think that's another way they can, and another guy like too is Jabal Sheard. And so that's another way they can also create a pass rush by signing guys for cheaper, cheaper one-year contracts or two-year contracts. And also make sure that they're at their best in rushing the passer by having them only play, you know, situations where it warrants it. Yeah. And I think you've got guys like me, potentially Emmanuel Ogba, I know he's injured right now, but you know, do you, do you take a chance on him and get him a, a cut price deal? Um, talking about players that can play kind of inside and 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 a, and a bit on the on the on the end, um, on an odd front, uh, I, I, he's probably going to command some some money in the region of of uh, of DJ Reader. You just never quite know how the defensive tackle market's going to, or the or the defensive lineman market, and how these guys are classed depending on the scheme they're in. Um, it, it shakes out. But the guy I liked really last year was Shelby Harris, um, twenty nine. Mm-hmm. But he's he's twenty nine, but he's not in many years in the league. He spent a couple of years at Oakland, didn't really get on the field. Um, and but he's last year sacked total high of six. Uh, you know, from reasonably from the interior, forty nine tackles, forced fumble. He flashed in the in the uh, disastrous Texans game. Uh, <laughs> um, I thought he looked quite good that day as well. Um, he looked disruptive and he. He looks like he's setting himself up for a payday, which is good to see for a guy who's a former seventh round pick. Again, you just don't know how that market shakes out, but a guy like that, you know, maybe give you know a bit of a late bloomer in his career, reminded me a bit, you know, when the Texans picked up uh, Antonio Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he'd been at Arizona, uh, hadn't necessarily you know blossomed, but then you, when all of a sudden, when you've got your secondary guy picking up, you know, somewhere in the region to six to nine sacks a season your defensive front looks a lot more potent. Um, so there's going to have to be value found in that as well, I think, because there's only so much the Texans can do that wouldn't be negligent to improve in this unit when you, okay, Jacob Martin flash, but he's got he's got to pack on weight and be consistent because he, he's a liability on rundowns. Duke Ejiofor could come back. He flashed in his rookie season, but he's had a long history of injuries, and that's the reason why the Texans got him in late in the draft. It was a speculative move and you know you thought is it you know is it a value pick draft wise to get him there yeah it was but you know when he came at Wake Forest he was injured a lot and um you know with with kind of reasonably serious injuries so Achilles labrums etc that he's had so it, it's tough I think and as you said edge edge rushers you know um just like the next position we'll talk about corner don't necessarily hit the hit the market that often but unfortunately the Texans are in a position where the two most premium spots on their defense, our needs. Um, so, 
that being said, um, as we said, it'll probably be you know some mid mid round pick uh, or you know or a or a, a draft pick potentially that could provide the uh, the Texans some some boost in the in the edge rush if they don't manage to find somebody in free agency. Um, but corner is an, an issue that we seem to be continually reviewing and, and resetting season on season. Um, we've obviously got Roby in house. Um, Vernon Hargreaves has been cut to reduce his cap, may come back. Jonathan Joseph, can he go on another year? It seemed to fade out at the end of the season. What do you think of the in-house moves, Matt, that have got to be made, first of all? Uh, I guess I have a question for you. What do you think about Gary and Conley? I know Houston Trey, a third-round pick for him. He's underneath you know, control for this year. Do you think that was a case where they didn't have a draft pick, they knew they could take somebody a little bit older? It takes a little bit of time to develop cornerbacks, and they could have them for a cheap contract this season, including last season? Or do you think it was like kind of just like making a desperation move where they needed cornerback help, and the, that was the only that was the best option they could come up with. Third round pick at the stage of the season we were at versus what Oakland valued him at, I think was an overpay at the time within the context of where you were at the season. But Oakland knew they could leverage that and get the a third round pick. They were probably reasonably delighted. That was he was a Reggie McKenzie pre Gruden. Uh, you know, uh, takeover of or of the now Las Vegas Raiders. He did lead the team in uh, in passes defense last season. He had a great couple of games down the stretch, um, particularly in the, the the wild card game against Buffalo. He flashed. Um, he had a good game in the London game as well. Um, is he a number one corner? Definitely not. I think um, he has got upside to be a solid corner, you know, in a, a mid to upper tier number two. Um, but I think at times he showed just he's not quite got the man coverage abilities that that you, you need to be. No, look, there's not many true lockdown corners in this league and they come, you know, you have to pick them in the top five of the draft or, um, and they don't hit free agency. So... I think he I think he was a positive addition, but the problem is we've been so direct of good corner play. Um and a lot of the times in the last few years it's been covered by a solid edge rush and a, and a, you know an ability to pressure the quarterback up front, which helps. Now the lack of I don't think or I don't think a single player on that Texas team could be judged on their coverage abilities last season after, you know, week seven or eight when what went out based on that. Uh, that pathetic pass rush that was on show. It just wasn't there. Um, so it's probably not a fair uh, representation of his abilities, particularly when he came in mid-season. So considering all the factors that he, he didn't have a training camp with us, there was no pass rush. He looked pretty good. So, you know, if all things are being equal, uh, should he should he take a, a jump in the season? You've got to think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that makes sense. I think the one thing about you know, Conley last year was that I the one thing he did very well was play the ball in the air and play the catch point. And like all great cornerbacks have to have that ability. You're going to beat sometimes and the ability to not drop pass, not drop penalties and play the ball is important. I just think he was beat a lot last year. And I think he was fortunate. He wasn't, uh, you know, picked on more, didn't give up more plays. I think Beck's play he had in his, in his entire season last year is that play against Buffalo. Like you talked about where that was when we're like, he was maybe beat a little bit, but he's still within you know the radius of the receiver. Is able to come back and make a great play on the ball. Um, I think a lot 
like a lot of the plays in that Jacksonville game, you know, he was beat, but the ball was kind of overthrown and he got away some calls as well too. I think it was kind of more of a desperation thing for him than him being like somebody that you can feel comfortable with as your number two cornerback. Um, and then Roby was the best corner on the team, but he's a guy who's like, if he's your best corner, he's not going to be the best cornerback on a really good pass defense. And he was the best cornerback on, you know, the 26th ranked defense by you know, DVOA last year. And then with Lonnie Johnson, you know, he's, he's an athlete. He's not a cornerback who could come in and play right away. And that was kind of obvious watching his rookie video last year and he needs time to develop, but it's like, he just doesn't have that quickness and that fluidity to play man coverage. He's also doesn't know how to use his body. Can't play press very well. He was like 174th in yards after the catch with you know, six plus yards allowed at that point too. And so like the options that they have right now are, you know, Conley and Johnson, if they want to give Roby, you know, $60 million for, you know, four years or something like that. And then that's, that's kind of it. You know, everything else has come through free agency of the draft. So I, I don't know if Houston's going to be a position where they pay Roby because he's been here and they don't feel like they have any other better options available, or if they're going to just look to sign a bunch of guys in free agency and kind of do what they should have done last year. And I like the Roby sign last year, but I thought they should sign, you know, two other guys like him and just, they need bodies and that had become being one of the big mistakes they made last season because then you end up with Hargreaves and Conley trade and they miss, you know, Philip Gaines even to a point too. So it's a very interesting situation that they're in at the cornerback position entering free agency. Yeah. I think Lonnie, I was, I mean, look, he was a Juco transfer played only really played one season in Kentucky. He was always going to be raw um, as a prospect. The, the trouble with Lonnie is I think he's got all he's got an un, unbridled confidence about himself. That was evident when he uh, I think he attempted to fight the entire Green Bay team in joint mm-hmm. practices. So and he's from you know and it's been well documented. He's from Gary, Indiana. It's one of the highest crime rates in the U.S. He's a tough kid. His nickname is Lotto um, because he's one of the lucky ones that got out. Um, I think he's got all the tools to be a, a great corner. Um, but again, it's about piecing it together. So that's, I think that's the question. Do you, does this team feel comfortable with Lonnie Johnson and, uh, Gary Connolly just do two starting corners if Bradley Roby walks, um, which again, you, you kind of think where Roby deal, will that one go right down to the wire and will the Texans make him an offer late, um, to keep him in house? Because I think the, the concern is that, you know, if he goes, uh, trying to replace corners on the open market, particularly after the probably the memories of the Aaron Colvin deal, which I think they might still be paying him this season. I'm not sure if that guaranteed money's let is finished. <laughs> um, you know, does does that still sit in the memory? Because there hasn't been many free agent corner deals that have worked out. Now, you know, I don't think he would have been a cultural fit, but I think if you were going to give up a third round pick. Um, or you know, give up a pick mid-season. Surely Marcus Peters would have been a better, a better uh, movement. Now he was a he was a guy that got kicked off his kicked kicked off his college team in Washington. So, you know, I, it's probably some concern there because the Texans seem to like the cleaner cut uh, prospects that that are out there. Um, and obviously, the you know they're in a they're in a pickle at that position in many senses because Kevin Johnson pick didn't work out. Ag Boye walks now there's talk of ag boy being a, a a potential cap casualty as they as they're desperately trying to 
reorganise themselves after their the rather uh, rich um, Nick Foles Nick Foles free agent deal. Do you think um, AJ would make make a comeback? I know he was good friends with people in the locker room, and a lot of players were vocal about sad to see him go. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Boye. I wrote a lot about him. Yeah, I feel like I, sometimes there's certain players that come up and like, yeah, I've been doing this you know too long, and you know, kind of Boye is one of those things where I think it was you know, three years ago. I was very adamant that they should franchise tag him. Like there is no reason that they shouldn't at that time. They had the cap space to do so. He was the most valuable player on that defense because without Watt going with Watt going down and uh, and not having like another, you know, he tr- that was the first time the Texans had a great pass defense, and that was even without Watt being available too. And he was he was awesome that season, and he had one great year in Jacksonville. The past two years, he's been you know, not not in. I mean, eighteen, he was kind of just like injured. Last season, you know, they they lost. Uh, Last season they lost. They trade. They traded Jalen Ramsey, and so it was just kind of boy out there. And he was injured. He didn't look like he had the same quickness on the ball. He was also in a tougher spot than previously, like covering just about every number one cornerback out there too. And they had bad safety play and bad linebackers who couldn't cover. So it wasn't the best situation for him. Uh, that being said, like he wasn't like you know like really great all last year. But yeah, I mean if if Boye is available for like one year, eight million dollars or so, something like that, I think that'd be you know, something worth, uh, worth them going after, you know, and I, I think boy is a very good player. It's just going to be kind of weird seeing if he can bounce back and play more man coverage against you playing a lot of cover three last year in Jacksonville. Yeah. It's a tough one. I remember watching the night, um, it was, I think it was Monday night football in Denver and, uh, and being there watching that game. That was the infamous spiral fumble from Brock Osweiler, but he looked so good that night and I remember just turning around and one of the guys were at the game I just said he'll be gone in the off season um, and Bradley Roby was playing at a kind of similar level until the Kansas City game when he when he went off uh, with a hamstring injury so it's it, I've got a feeling Roby comes back um, because when you look at the options of free agents out there there's there's not there's not many uh, to bring in house um, to try and work out you know, an, a viable option to replace him, unless the Texans are truly okay with going with Conley and um, and uh, and Lonnie is is your is your top two. Yeah, and, and I mean it's a it's a big question to make, and again, I don't unless the pass rush is really great. You know, with Conley Johnson and Roby as your cornerbacks, you're not gonna have a good pass defense. And so I don't know. I th- I think the best way for I think kind of the key here is gonna be Lonnie Johnson and. I think the best way to get the most out of him would probably be to play you know, more cover three and cover four and just letting him be big and tall and, and cover things on the sideline. I don't think he's a guy who can ever, he's ever really going to have the quickness and fluidity to be a really good, you know, man, man coverage quarterback. So one of the other ideas I think Houston has from the other possibilities for him is they could you know, switch to more of a cover three, cover four scheme, get their quarterbacks playing, you know, a segment of the field on the sideline and then going and dra- going and signing somebody like James Bradbury, who's a very good uh, zone corner cornerback or zone cornerback, and then they could put Conley in the slot whenever they play you know, nickel and dime that sort of thing. And that's another option available to them. The only hard thing about that though is that you know their linebackers aren't that great coverage. Cunningham's fast, but gets like juke worse than you'll ever see anybody get juked in the open field. And McKinney's notorious for being slow in coverage, and Martin's not very good in coverage too. So. That's only downside about playing zone, but they have the safeties to do so as well, and they can always sign another third safety too to play like you know match coverages if they decide to do that as well. So 
it's another idea for them. They're they're really like at a crossroads though if they want to, you know, keep some places in line from cornerback last year. But again, like unless they invest heavily in the pass rush, they don't have a situation where the cornerback talent they currently have is going to make it work out. And I think even with Johnson, like I'm not expecting a whole lot from him next season. Even I think it's a guy who may not get until you know year three or year four potentially too. And I do think a zone, uh, a switch to more of a zone scheme would be the best way to maximize his talent. That's the thing with uh, with Weaver coming in. You don't quite know, uh, and 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 O'Brien referenced it as the style of of defense that you'll bring. Um, would suggest when you sort of read between the lines, that's unfair, and there'll be a change. So you you don't you know because we went a lot of man looks last year, and it looked like you know backyard football at times. Um, with the, you know we didn't really have the guys to to to, to match up. Um, and interesting, you said James Bradbury there because. After the Carolina game, I remember just kind of noting to myself, O'Brien called Bradbury out as being a potential, um, or not a potential free uh, free agent acquisition, but it certainly made me think think he potentially could be because O'Brien called him, you know, the number one corner on their team, and it's probably not true. Um, and he was, you know, and O'Brien doesn't necessarily hand out praise to players. Uh-huh. That, that regularly so it just made me think at that point you know he, he he was probably the number two if not the three corner on that team um but it just it just made me think there's definitely an, an admiration there from o'brien and potentially you know he is a fit um depending on his value he might get tagged to stay in carolina you just never know i think with players on carolina because you know even they've got some guys like addison and Poe up front that could go out the door um but when you've got Matt Rule in there on a seven-year de- seven deal, um, he can do what he wants. So if he's not too enamoured by Bradbury, he doesn't think he's a number one corner, he's got time to let him go. So you think, actually, if he's not been signed already, then he might well he might well walk. So that could be an option. As well, um, potentially somebody like Brashad Breland, um, Kendall Fuller, um, that could play in the slot. I think the Texans might need to be um, looking in the sort of bargain section of the of the. Of, of this again unfortunately um even if they do keep roby i think they'll probably need to sign one more um interesting i i don't know what you think of this matt that for me to gibson didn't play that well last year uh justin reed was injured all year and somehow managed to play with an injury not show up on the injury uh report each week um <laughs> safe but the safety play took a huge step back last season from losing ty matthew who actually at the time I was happy to go because I thought the 14 and a half didn't warrant his deal. He actually looked like he played up to that level towards the end of the season um, or, or closer to that level as the safety market reset. Do you think they could potentially get, you know, even if they kept Roby now, we're, we're starting to get tight, to, tight towards the cap here. Do you think they could potentially invest in a safety? Um, I know they've obviously got the Justin Reed extension looming. Um, if that if that is the case and the health checks out, but I don't, you know, and potentially Tashawn Gibson might not be here. What do you think upgrading the safety position? Because I think the previous season showed us actually good safeties in this passing league can cover up a lot. Yeah, and especially because like teams don't play their base deep, they don't play seven uh, box players 
as often as they play, you know, nickel and dime packages. I mean, I, I think the problem with the safety play last year, I think Gibson was good when he did. He just played, you know, deep middle safety and played center field, take away the deep passing game. And the Texans had a, a really good deep pass defense. They were just awful against short passing, where I think they allowed like 26 touchdowns for throws that were 15 yards or less through the air. And I, I think the right decision was not to keep Matthew because of how they how they used Matthew the year before. Like Matthew kind of played that Gibson role where he played, you know, deep middle and he wasn't used up to his ability. Every time he played cornerback in the slot, it really didn't work out that well for them as well either. And then you have Justin Reed who kind of fills that Matthew role, but just by doing it like a, a third round pick contract instead of paying somebody, you know, $13 million to do that. And so Matthew at $13 million a year is going to make that pass defense last year, you know, really all that good. I think they're going to sign a safety for sure mainly because they played Jay Leela die a lot last year and they play a lot of three safety sets last season too. And so I think they'll, they'll go out there and try to find a guy. I think Carl Joseph is really interesting because he's been spectacular when he's healthy. He's just been hurt so often. I think he'd be a perfect sort of player to, to fit in here. And also after last year too, where the safety market was absolutely absurd. I don't know how much teams are really wanting to spin at, the safety position after everybody spent all that money at those spots too. So they're they're I think they're going to sign safety this year for sure. And then it's just going to fall more in line of what their defense tries to do in nickel situations to get you know, McKinney and Cunningham off the field uh, on passing downs as much as possible. I think the Carl Joseph one was that um, that on draft night when Rick Smith would have been running the war room uh, that he that I think he could have potentially been in the Texans jersey if if he if he'd have dropped. In that draft, because there was certainly, you know, you know, rumored interest, um, and as well as 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 uh, as potentially somebody like you know a Jimmy Ward or or um, you know or, or somebody like that who's potentially not lived up to their their billing um, in the league, uh, you know, somebody like Demarius Randall. It's got range and speed, looking for you know, looking for another payday. I don't know, um, but there there is the, I, it potentially is you know a sort of Jalila die replacement level free agent to come in and be that third safety um to you know to to to, to help fill out that position it's, it's as you said the, the 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 more the more three safety looks they played um it is potentially somewhere where they need to look to try and invest in that because it covers up a lot um you know for, for the defense so it's it's an interesting one i think because obviously the guys that sounds like justin simmons at denver is going to be tagged anthony harris had a breakout year again he's a one-year player um but it, you know but is it going to be up the 14 million um you know plus apy that, that was handed out last season that probably regresses slightly um the market i think teams you know traditionally haven't paid safeties you know like linebackers running backs etc they used to always fall into that category um, until last season and somebody like you know even a guy like Trey Boston who for whatever reason every season mm -hmm. he uh, never seems to be signed but certainly in the in the Carolina game I thought he had quite a, a reasonable uh, a reasonable showing um, on, on on that day um, for us so yeah I think that I think that kind of rounds off uh, some some of the, the defense um, obviously we've got the, the Zach Cunningham uh, a contract to be done if that is done this season, and there has been some discussion of a of of Bernard McKinney's future, do you think this team can have two double digit inside linebackers uh, on it on its salary cap? I I just don't think I think their skills are I don't know they 
their skills are kind of too redundant. I think to, it's worth paying both of them that much. I would guess if they were to re-sign Cunningham, they probably you know look to trade McKinney or release McKinney next season. But I don't think McKinney is going anywhere this season. I don't think they extend Cunningham this year at all either. I think they kind of wait and see with both of them, make a decision next year. And like even with Watson too, like Watson's on his fourth year this year. They're going to give him the fifth-year option. I don't think Watson even gets an extension this year. I think that will happen next season too. And they're probably going to have to pay a little bit more because of it, but it maximizes their ability to win this year. And you know, without the top draft picks, with their way their salary cap is kind of set up, with the way they didn't invest in their free agency last year and try to front load some contracts for the next two seasons, they're kind of stuck in a lot of ways. And so I think Houston's best option is to kind of go all in on this year and then hope that you know, they have some sort of run like Kansas City had last year. They have a really great pass defense. And they are somehow able to cobble together a really good, a good enough. You know, uh, no, they have a really great pass offense that leads them, and they're able to cobble together. You know, maybe like a fringe top ten pass defense and free agency in the draft this year, and have that give them a run for one season because it, it is hard for them to balance. You know, the future with every, all the decisions that they they have to make here really soon. Yeah. That, I think that's a good consideration. I suppose the, the the argument with Watson is if you get behind the the, I mean it's a lot of the a lot of it's probably outstanding uh, until the the next CBA gets agreed and how that how that looks, um, and that's certainly I think been an impact in some of the high level negotiations at the top of your at the top of your roster um, in terms of salary cap hit. Potentially Watson doesn't get, but then I, I think probably the Texans' fear is if Mahomes gets his done this off season, does that then push the price up? Um, I think Tunsil probably gets done, but it will have to get done because I think his agent's got more leverage than he'll ever have in any negotiation to get that done. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's 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 going to be it's going to be interesting uh, to to see to see how that quite pans out on there um, in terms of the offense. Now the Texans obviously got an option as well uh, to manage their salary cap. Uh, when he's on the field, he's great. When he's off the field, he's missed probably by scheme more than anything, more than than necessarily always 100%. Will Fuller's ability, do you think they uh, reduce his fifth-year option and get some sort of incentive, sort of laden deal done? Or how do you think that works? Yeah, I think they're just going to keep him where he's at on the fifth-year option and I see how this year goes. And it's been interesting because I think if you – if you look at the trade market, the best asset the Texans have to move is Will Fuller. You know, he's spectacular when he's healthy, but he's injured. His contract at $10 million really isn't, I mean, like for a fringe number one, number one wide receiver and the ability he has to change a game, like it really isn't that much of a, a contract for that situation. And like, you know, if Houston wanted to, maybe if they have find a team that's desperate enough, like the New York Giants, for example, or whatever, they can maybe get, you know, a second round pick out of him or, uh, a late first round pick or some along those lines even. And so if Houston was to make a move, that would be an option for it where they can get a cheap contract out of it and then they can use free agency and sign somebody for this year. And it's also a really deep wide receiver class too where they can replace his production with two separate players or so or one player taken in you know, the second round, for example, as well. And then you can get a guy who's actually healthy too. Um, I, I mean, those are all options that, and they're interesting too. I just think... Fuller is you know good is so good that when he's healthy they're kind of stuck with him and they're gonna let this offense ride with him as much as they can um, especially there's a lot less unknown about that too and I do think Tim Kelly whenever he calls the plays and Texans offense in general needs to do a better job of being ready whenever Fuller you know, is hurt 
and also not allowing that to turn their offense the way it did, where they just stopped throwing the ball downfield completely when Fuller's not on the field. And that's something that can't happen again in 2020. Yeah, you felt Kenny Stills might have helped with that uh, issue. And I think that was the idea. And he did, you know, his, his average average per catch was up, uh, you know, probably higher than anybody's got close to, uh, apart from Will Fuller in the last few years, with particularly with Watson. So I, the, there's definitely a need for, you know, and as every position, offense and defense, there's a need, a need for speed um, because you just can't coach it. And if you can get you know long long speed ability to open up defenses, that you can see what it does to this playbook. Um, assuming it doesn't change all that dramatically um, under Tim Kelly, so I think I think definitely there's uh, there's got to be a, a a viewpoint there of how how did the Texans get um, get you know get more depth on offense, and I think that consists at the. Um, at the wide receiver position, but then potentially also uh, on the offensive line because when we saw when Titus Howard went out uh, last season, uh, this line de- didn't look as good as it did after they, they made the changes when they put uh, Sharping in at left guard and, and, and kicked uh, Titus out to right tackle, which I thought in the games he played, um, he looked good. Yeah, I mean, that's a, at the third tackle position, I think Robert Johnston is a good swing tackle to have. I think he's a really, he's not, I guess, really good. It's kind of outlandish to say, but he's a good second level blocker. The problem is he's not the best one versus one pass blocker, but he's a lot better than Chris Clark is, for example. And it is weird because I just got done watching a bunch of Howard and Sharping film for something I'm going to write tonight and publish tomorrow. But uh, you know, Sharping had a better rookie season than Howard did at left guard, where Sharping's one thing he needs to do is just get stronger and be able to drive defensive tackles out of the off the line of scrimmage in the run game. But everything else than that, he was really good at. Howard, for example, though, he just won. It's kind of opposite where you're sharpening one a lot with technique and pad level and uh, and those sorts of things. And Howard, on the other hand, just won by in pass blocking, just by big and wide and strong and hard to get around. And it was kind of like watching like a worse version of Dwayne Brown or, or you know, Dwayne Brown, if he was like, you know, an infant or so where he's just a big guy and he's hard to get around. He was able to win a lot like that. So the offensive line, I think, is interesting because this is the first time that Houston has the chance to have come into week one where they know who their starting five is and not be you know, dealing with injuries or switching guys around after week one and switching guys around all throughout the season. And I do think Sharping and Howard should be are, are talented enough and good enough to be consistent starters on the offensive line for years to come. They both have a lot of ways they can get better. And, uh, and they're, they're very interesting players in their own right too. And so I, I don't think they should go out and like really draft a offensive lineman high or, you know, if they want to draft a guard in the fourth round or so to replace Fulton in 2021, that'd be fine. But I think with Manks, they have, you know, a good enough swing guard too for them to be all set up for, for next season. And it has an opportunity to be like a really good offensive line and better than like a, a good one last year, even though they graded poorly in all the metrics that poorly evaluate offensive line play to begin with. Yeah, so you can't look too much into the me- into the into the metrics. I think it's such a unique position, isn't it? And it's uh, it's defense on offense, and it's um, it's the, the 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 continuity of the same five guys playing. Uh, you know, if we could get all five to play sixteen games this season, that could be you know one of the most underrated storylines for the team because the you know okay, Nick Martin got the extension, but his level of play took a huge leap versus what he'd shown in the years prior. I don't know if mm-hmm. that 11 million a year got him 
out of bed a bit earlier in the morning or what it what it did but he was great football pedigree I suppose with obviously his brother and he played in a great line at Notre Dame and they, it, it was it was strange to see that because I think that the argument at the start of the season could have been you could have put Greg Manson at centre like he did really well in 16 um, and, the, and the level of play wouldn't wouldn't have dropped now I'd probably have changed my opinion on that based on how Man's played and obviously him and Deshaun have got quite a strong affiliation and I don't know how much that plays a part into it um, but it's obviously an important relationship and for your chemistry on your offence so yeah I think this interesting you said about Fulton because there is obviously he's, he's got zero dead camp money seven million hit this year uh, I'm of the opinion that continuity in this offence and under O'Brien has been so limited anywhere we can get it this off season we need to take it um, what do you think and I suppose that extends itself not only the right guard position but also extends to tight end and running back with uh, Fells and Hyde mm-hmm. yeah I, I, I think Fulton's fine I think he's just he just weighs a lot right now and I think they have him gain strength so he can be like more of a mauler and that sort of thing. But he wasn't at Kansas City and every single interior offensive lineman who leaves Kansas City becomes the worst player. And Fulton's no different. Um, and like even though he's bigger and all that, he still isn't like super strong, doesn't really brutalize guys on the interior either. And I think if he get, if he slims down a little bit this offseason and gets some of his quickness back, he'll be a better player. But I do think they should keep Fulton mainly because you know they haven't had continuity in the offensive line since like since they beat Cincinnati in you know week seven or whatever it was in 2015, like every other time they've had an offensive line, there's always constant you know mis- uh, there's always like constant changing on the line. Somebody gets hurt and it ruins everything they have completely. Like I'll never forget in 18 whenever Sajro Henderson breaks his leg and Henderson wasn't ever gonna be good at Houston at all. But then to go and move Martinez Rankin to left tackle and Davenport to right tackle and kind of ruin both those guys' careers in Houston right at that moment. I think it was unbelievable too. And so just because they have that opportunity to have continuity, I would keep Fulton here, even though I don't think he's necessarily like a really good player worth $7 million a year. I just think the $7 million is worth the continuity there for it. Um, Hyde, I, I wouldn't want to keep Hyde, but I bet they could probably keep him for like $4 million a year or so. I mean, you can find between the tackles, you know, runners, and uh, they're pretty easy to find out there. He didn't break a lot of tackles at all either. And then Fells, he had, he had a bunch of touchdowns, but he just doesn't attack the seams at all. He's like, he has good uh, ability with Watson about knowing how to find open space, about where to you know take off downfield and that sort of thing. But he's a bad run blocker. He's a bad pass blocker. He doesn't make anything happen all downfield. And I'd rather see Kali Waring and the Jordan twins play primary tight end snaps and not have Darren Fellows, you know, get 70% of those snaps or so next season. I'd rather see the young guys who have athleticism have the ability to stretch the field uh, some play those spots instead too. And even then, like I think even Warren could walk in next year and be a better blocker than Fellows was last year. He just was so, just so bad at like being pull at pulling and getting to the second level or blocking defensive ends on his own or just like running past, you know, first level blocks downfield to do nothing at all whatsoever. And he was a good story. If, they, if he wants to come back for like one year, a few million, a few million dollars, maybe red zone thread, that'd be fine. I just like the young talent they have in that tight end room rather than giving somebody a bunch, you know, a bunch of money to be, you know, slightly below average again. The, f- the investments in the future at tight end is, I think, in, there was a reasonably premium draft pick um, in the third round to take uh, Kahali Waring. So, you know, is, is, I think that you've probably got to go with the, 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 
the youth movement there. And I think the same with running back as well. I think consistently over the O'Brien era, he's continued not to utilise running backs before last season well. And, you know, Lamar Miller was, you know, terribly used for his skill set. Mm-hmm. But Duke Johnson came in as a third down, predominantly kind of scat back, you know, catching catch passes out the backfield. And actually when his touches were high, that was when the offence looked its best. Um, so he's the you know he's the star at that position if you like, and I think any anybody you can pick up as you said you know if it's a you know a Devonta Freeman if he gets cut from Atlanta you know he's another year removed from his injury you get him on a value deal I think there was rumors that guys like David Johnson or whatever are going to get picked but you want somebody who's you know similarly to how they picked up uh, Carlos at. In the, in the last offseason, his stock was low. He got him on cut-down day. Okay, I, I didn't actually... I wasn't particularly a fan of trading a third-round pick offensive lineman for a running back. And, yeah, we'll see how that works out longer term. I know he went... Martinez went on the IR and they, they messed him around positionally and didn't handle that one well. So, a bit of a trend there, really. But um, that we're Yeah, seeing. and Rankin rank made me sad because I when Houston dropped him and played at right tackle from the beginning. And, uh, and he... He played guard in Kansas City. I thought he played pretty well. And then their guard gets hurt and he comes in at right tackle and then immediately tears his knee up. Like his first snap at right tackle after the spot I always wanted to see him play at. And that was really unfortunate too. I do think a good running back for Houston to look at. Uh, you know, Freeman is, I like the idea of him. He just hasn't been very good lately. I think Gus Edwards would be a good back though for between the tackles, power runner. He's also only 25. He's never taken on a bunch of carries. And, uh, and in Baltimore's offense last year, he's a, he was able to you know, do a Carlos side does just run much of the tackles and get, you know, five yards really consistently. And so I think he's the type of guy Bill O'Brien could just absolutely run into the ground and, you know, get two or three really good years out of him. I did. I don't know if you saw the article on the, uh, on the given the Melvin guy, I think it was 50 million over five years. Oh, really? Did Gosh. you see that article? I think it was ESPN. Tempsey, Bill Barnwell wrote it. Um, I would hope not, but there's there's something ab- that about O'Brien, you know, uh, and his aggressiveness, and if he wants something, he'll make sure it's done. Um, so is there a is is there potentially a running back out there, which I'd hope not, um, based on the extensions that we've got to do in the next two years. You know, is there somebody he's got, like he talked about, he had a long time of admiration for Carlos Hyde. You'd hope he would bring him back on, yeah, you know, that's somewhere between, you know, absolute most four million a year. Um, but is there somebody out there that he put, you know, like, like Melvin Gordon that he, that he, uh, he goes out and makes, and makes a splash for? I don't know. I would, I would be okay with, you know, if the, if the top pick at 57th overall was a running back and you got somebody, uh, like Taylor from Wisconsin or uh, Dobbins from Ohio State or somebody like that, you know, somebody like a like if you want to make a running back, you know, the the cream of your draft crop, then fine because you get them on a rookie deal and it 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 makes sense cap wise. And if they're a transcendent talent that drops in the second round and it gives your offense a new dimension, great. Um, but I think yeah, you've got to you've got to be youthful at um, at that position because it's it's not forgiven. Um, in terms of the in terms of the impact on the on, on the players' bodies, you never know. I think it's 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 one of the the most probably changed positions. I think, isn't it? In in the way the sport views it, because you've got a guy like Derek Henry, who's 
basically come out on a radio station and told them exactly what he's looking for a year. Um, you'll have Christian McCaffrey coming up for that position as well soon. Um, so, but all the other contracts, particularly the one handed out in LA, um, teams seem to regret them. So hopefully, mm-hmm. um, the Texans can kind of do that at a, at a, a reasonable rate. Because I, I, I think as well when, when you've got somebody like Watson who's mobile, and that that you know adds an element to the run game. I don't think there's a need for us for a for an expensive running back. But if you can get one in the draft and he's got he's got more upside than anticipated, then that's positive. Um, but in in terms of uh, in terms of any other offensive free agents, you think you know do, do they you know I, I I thought you know if they if they really want to go in all on all in the line and they maybe cut both Calamente and and, and uh, Fulton that will give them you know the best part of twelve and a half million uh, or thirteen and a half million savings a year. Do you then use that money to give somebody like Brandon Sheriff twelve million a year, or or do you think they 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 go they just stick with the five? Yeah, I don't. I don't think they'll end up doing that. I think they will cut Calamante, but I think they'll do that to just improve the pass defense side of the ball. And yeah, you know, I. Th- I mean, just with the investment there and man the offensive line, I think the like if they do get Sheriff with Watson and everything they have. Like, I don't know. I just don't see the value in doing that. And I think part of it too, one of the great things about having Watson quarterback is that having a really great offensive line like isn't as isn't all that important. You know, you have the ability to if you scheme a really uh, competent offense. You have a guy who can break his being tackles, some mobility he has. He can make up for it. And we just saw Russell Wilson do that for his entire career. Where Seattle doesn't have to invest in their offensive line really at all because of how good he is. And then you just watch Kansas City with one really great offensive line, Mitchell Schwartz. You know, Eric Fisher was fine, but he got beat by Nick Bosa for the entire Super Bowl. And their interior were, you know, Devonny Tardiff, who played there a bunch, but they signed Wisniewski, you know, free agency out of nowhere. And then, uh, and then Ryder was a, a late round pick at center, you know, and they kind of cobbled stuff together. And when, with Mahomes at quarterback, the mobility he has, it's not as important, you know. So I couldn't see investing twelve million dollars into somebody like Sheriff. I mean, I do think it really just kind of comes down to what Houston thinks they have currently a quarterback. If they think they can build a pass defense around Johnson, Roby, and Conley, which I don't, I, and the safeties they have, which I particularly don't, and then also if they find more value in having coverage over, you know, pass rush. And I think it's just, it's just easier to develop a pass rush. That's why it's more important for one to have a great pass defense and it's the easiest path for them to do so. And so I think every opportunity they have to get somebody like, you know, Jamal Sheard and Eric Armstead and you know, maybe even uh, Quinn as a, as a late third down pass rusher, Mario Addison as a third down pass rusher, that's where they should spend their money. It really shouldn't be at offensive line or running back or at, you know, tied in or a wide receiver anywhere else. They should just kind of invest all the resources that they have into the defense, then keep that same flexibility to extend Tunsil and Watson next offseason. Yeah, and based on the based on the the investment they've already put in the offense, I think you want to be building for the future, don't you? Because you've obviously got you know the Fuller deal, you know, on a fifth year option. You've got Stills, who's got one year left on his deal, so they need to bring those next crop of wide receivers through, and I think this is the year to do it. Um, but but yeah, it's 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 uh it's a big it's a big off season for O'Brien because I don't know where you where you stand on it, Matt. But obviously, if, you know he's here to stay for this season, that's for sure. But if he doesn't get this defense right in terms of rush and cover, he's potentially going to leave Anthony Weaver out to dry. Yeah, and I mean, I a lot of the cover. I don't know, like the Texas fan base is weird now because it's there's a a small group that 
I mean, I guess it's kind of vocal. I think the majority of the people don't like O'Brien at all anymore, but there's a really small, loud, vocal majority that want him to stay. And, uh, you know, despite everything else that's happened the past six years and regardless, like of how you feel about it, he's not going to go anywhere, you know, like he's here, he's the GM, he's the head coach. And I know Cal McNair is kind of a weird spot because the only coach I can think of who's been fired after going, you know, 10, six, winning a playoff game is Mike Malarkey. And they went nine, seven, and they got you know destroyed by the Patriots after being the Chiefs, and went with Mike Rabel after that. But very rarely do you see a coach fired after winning a playoff game and having a successful season like O'Brien had last year. So I don't know it's weird because it's like it feels like the team has been handicapped that this team should have been better going back from 2014 on, and uh, at the same time, like there ha- it has been a successful franchise. They have won you know division championships. They have made the postseason and everything else, and they're set up right now to have a really great offense potentially. But at the same time, this team is really limited by them. And uh, and I just don't think he's going anywhere, you know. Like even let's say Houston has like a, a down year next season. Like until it happens, I don't, I don't really see it. He has all the power. He has all the control. He gets to make every decision. And uh, so, I don't know. It's interesting. I think if all the team, I think the Texans have one of the, one of the five most interesting teams this offseason. And it's really going to be riveting whether you're a Texans fan or not what this team does for the next you know, three months to improve going into 2020. Yeah, you hit, I think that's true. I think the, the, the with Watson, you're always guaranteed a level of wins, but then with, you know, if this defense takes another step back and they don't get the, the, uh, the, the players in house uh, come, you know, come 18th of March, if we've not got, you know, a number of signings to reveal, uh, you know, to at least give us some hope that the, the unit's going to be solidified. It's, it's uh, it's all in vain, and it was all sort of epitomised by that Kansas City game when it it was probably the best opening to a game we've probably had with the offense and and special teams to be fair, um, and then that defense just completely capitulated, forgot how to play fundamental football, um, and a big part of that was just purely down to talent and pass rush. So um, yeah, the, the swing of this team could be anywhere between four wins and. And and twelve if they if they get it right I think yeah so. yeah and even and even last year I picked them to go eight and eight and one of the things I really you know didn't realize and I think my my brain will be warped forever is how much value a really great quarterback has and Watson from a talent perspective is a top five quarterback I know statistically he's like a fringe top ten one but I think value wise and and talent wise he's a top five one and so whenever you have that like you're looking at probably 500 kind of matter what happens, maybe seven, nine, if you know, all hell breaks loose. And Houston was a 10 and 16 last year because they went nine, three in one score games. If we include the Buffalo win last year and, uh, and like that was because of Watson just doing you know, incredible things. And one of the things I learned more than anything, watching the Howard and Sharping film and going back and watching this offense, is just how many spectacular throws he made consistently last year and how special a player he is. And so it's like, this is the last year of his rookie contract. This is the last year where you can, you really take advantage of not having to pay him a whole lot. And I think this is the best chance Houston has had to, you know, win a championship since, you know, before Shab's foot was broken 11 and, and everything they can do to maximize the season, they should try to do uh, this off season. I think of all the, of all the flaws of O'Brien, <clears throat> I think you'll take that, that mindset because, you must know that, you know, I mean, it does seem at times Cal McNair's so hands-off, it almost comes across as disinterested. But um, 
you know, I think if anybody, O'Brien will know, he's got to get this right. He's got to make sure this defense is is is, is there. That's you know competitive enough to, to complement the offense. And it's now time for you know for all those investments, we've got to see that the organic upside in those investments in the line and at wide receiver and um, you know and at running back, Duke Johnson. We've got to see all that come through in a big way next season to make this offense um mm-hmm. what it was because i think there's a good argument that that offense last year underperformed um based on the investment because if you'd have put that you know on the other side of the ball um like that you know that and you you know and you all the investment in the pro, you know premium positions like ed say for example ed rusher and you and you and you didn't get to the quarterback then you know people would be you know very uh of a very much different opinion but i think obviously as he said that the, the the plays that watson does and the, some of the spectacular throws that he pulls out the pulls out the bag at times is was you know last season was was evident um so if he could do that on a more consistent basis and they've got a you know they've got a, just a general year one to or year two growth of of all the new pieces that have come in on the line and kenny stills and you know if you can get get the the, the three top receivers out there um, is big and you know Jordan Thomas coming back is going to be big and you know the big unknown I think as well is when it did look good in this offense I think this offense needs a slot receiver Kiki QT finally before we finish up Matt do you think he comes back and makes it or is is the doghouse too treacherous to get out <laughs> yeah I, I don't know it's it's weird how that happens though Brian you know he's I think we saw it happen with Kali Warren last year I know he's been I know he was injured like during training camp and stuff and it's hard for a rookie to play the tight end position because you have to learn about the passing and run game. But, you know, I think he was one of those guys who's in the doghouse where he could have came back and play last year if they, if he wanted him to, uh, we saw the same thing happen to, you know, Foreman as well after, you know, he was releasing up, tearing his knee up in Indianapolis immediately. And like we saw with Clowney now, and now I think, you know, cutie's there and cutie. I don't know. It's weird because it seems like he runs routes too close and he never has really gelled with Watson and, I don't know. I think a lot of things that they asked him to do as far as hot routes and stuff, he's never kind of figured out, but the talent's there. And I think just him, even like just running drag routes as a fourth wide receiver on every play is something that has a lot of value in the offense. And we saw it have really, really great success doing that in 2018 too. So I, I mean, I think the talent for cutie is too great for him not to have an impact on the offense next year, but you know, it's still Bill O'Brien's Houston Texans. And sometimes the way he feels about player gets in the way of the talent of a player too. And it's going to be interesting to see if he even makes the roster and the team this year after kind of like everything that happened last season. And I mean, even like last year too, now that I'm remembering some things, remember in training camp and in last year, whenever he got hurt fielding a punt, they kept him off the field and he wasn't ready whenever the season started. And it was just kind of cascading effect from that, like injury, have record returning punts against green Bay too. And I don't know, I would love to see cutie be, play like, every single fourth wide receiver snap available and then jump up to the number three receiver situation or four is out have still jumped up to two because that's still a really great receiving group on its own but uh, it just really depends on how bill o'brien feels that day you know it's got to be yeah i think we're not really in a position to turn away talent and not get the best out of them but as we saw with with uh with a number one over overall pick from south carolina i think uh as you said the uh the, the person or the or the perception of the of the of the person behind the player I think comes into it too often sometimes so we'll wait and see but it's uh it's all it's all on O'Brien's head now I think he's he's making all the decisions uh there is you know there's no one else to blame literally there is no one else that he can move out the building including Chris Olsen um 
to blame if this season doesn't go well. And, you know, I think anything less than an AFC Championship game uh, is is going to be considered not good enough um, based on all the control and everything he's asked for, he's been given. So it's time to deliver. Hopefully this will help you um, shape up some of your thoughts for free agency. Uh, and just want to thank Matt Weston from the Battle Red blog for joining us on the Turn Up For What podcast this week. Matt, thanks for your time. Of course, yeah, thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. And that's all we've got time for this week on the Turn Up For What podcast free agency edition. I think it's clear we need investment on the defence and some to try and turn around a unit to help this offence succeed and get them back to get them the ball to get back on the field. Thanks again for Matt and his time join us we've got a couple of draft experts lined up in the next couple of weeks to come and talk to you about the draft and where the texas might go after free agency shakes out so looking forward to getting through this off season with you thanks again for listening wherever you're listening from wherever you're downloaded from we are texans (laughs) 